go through the summer into the first week of September called We Are the Church. And we're going to do something that is common to expository preaching. Expository preaching is exposing, expository, exposing the meaning of the words of Holy Scripture. So uh, one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways, one of the best ways, is to look at a book of the Bible at a time. So we're going to spend um, a period of time for the rest of the summer looking at the book of 1 Timothy. Paul wrote two letters to a protege that he was discipling and mentoring uh, to be a pastor and leader in the church named Timothy. And so this is the first of those two letters, and we know it in the New Testament of the Bible as the book of 1 Timothy. So we're going to look at the entire book. Today's message, the first sermon in the series, We Are the Church, is The Message Matters. And we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. So you can follow along on the screens when those come up, but I always encourage you to bring your own Bible. Um, if you download a Bible app, on your phone, you can bring a hundred Bibles in English, and then a whole bunch more in, in a language that you don't understand, but you got to understand. So you could literally bring hundreds of Bibles to church through an app on your smartphone. So, uh, welcome to follow along. Uh, you know, on your Bible, on your, on your smartphone app, up on the screens when the scriptures come up. But our main passage today is First Timothy. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And I, I want to tell of how I came to understand that God had a call on my life. And God has a call on my life. So I was a young Christian, and, and I accepted Christ as Savior, but it took me like a full two years to have the first clue about how to live for Jesus daily and, and what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, and what it means for him to be Lord and me to be his follower. And so I, I finally clued into that and had this wonderful season in my life when uh, I was I was working in the evenings and I was home. Lucy worked in the in daytime, went to work early in the morning. So I would I would have these early morning hours alone and I would spend time praying and reading the Word, and, and having this relationship with Jesus, I started hearing, sensing, hearing God speak to me. I didn't literally hear a voice, but I started knowing when He had spoken to me. And so I would pray, and I would read the Word. And I had spent months in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And then I, I started reading other parts of the Bible, talking to my pastor, and so, you know, started throwing some Old Testament, you know, readings from the Old Testament, New Testament every day. And one day as I was praying, it was towards the end of my prayer time, and I was getting ready to read um, the Word, I knew that the Spirit of God said to me, today I'm going to show you my call for your life. You know, so Wow. And, and uh, being a young Christian and being alone, being alone and not knowing any different, I, I just assumed that it wouldn't just be in the flow of my daily reading. So I like randomly opened up the Bible, you know, put my finger there, 
and, and read, you know, and, and it was like, you know, Jehoshaphat was born from Ahijah, who was born, you know, I mean, it was just like, you know, and I go, and I, so I go to a different part of the Bible, you know, and, and, um, and they slayed 10,000 that day, and, and, uh, you know, so so I did that like four or five times, and none of the you know so opening and like putting a finger in and reading it um, didn't work. Didn't even come close, man. It was I was reading out the Bible, but it was stuff that obviously wasn't God's call for my life. So um, eventually, I did the obvious thing, and I went to where I had left off in the Bible the day before and began reading. The next verse. Well, the day before, I had been reading in Paul's second letter to Timothy. We're in First Timothy today, but I had been reading in Second Timothy, and I had finished chapter three of Second Timothy the day before. So I went to Second Timothy chapter four and read this. I'm going to read you verses one through five. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Uh, it's like God had a plan. And it's like he was unfold, unfolding it in my life day by day. You know, I, I had ended at the end of Second Timothy chapter 3 the day before. As I'm praying right before reading the word on this day, the Spirit clearly communicates to me, today I want to show you my will for your life. And then when I finally, you know, quit doing goofy stuff, like opening up a random, sticking my finger there and finding out who Jehoshaphat's daddy was, you know, um, I went I went right here to where it was the day before. Um, God had a plan. And God has a calling on my life. And I read, I read all those five verses, and I read a little farther, and I knew that, that God's call stopped right there. But one of the things I want to point out to you here is we're going to see this in, in what we read in 1 Timothy today. But in this passage also, in 2 Timothy, it reveals to us this is early in the life of the church. You know, um, Paul was alive when Christ was alive. And Paul um, helped persecute the very first Christians, helped help some of them be martyred, you know. And so from the founding, the very beginning, there have been those in and around the church, those in the church even, and those around the church who don't base their lives on gospel truth. They don't base their life on the good news that Jesus saves. They don't base their life on the fact that he's Savior and he's Lord. So if he's Lord, that means I'm not, and I serve him, I follow him, and I do what he says. And what his word says. And so from the very first, that has been uh, something that the church had to specifically address. And only 
let me let me make an obvious statement here about receiving this, please. Only the truth is true. Only the truth is true. So for the church, the message matters. That's why it's a title of today's sermon. Our message to the world matters because the truth is true and everything else is a lie. Now, not every Christian is called to be a pastor. Okay? I get that. But we are all called. I try to, I'm, I'm trying to stay as we do this series only in the passage that I'm preaching on that day. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. But I, but I need to refer to one more other passage. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Every Christian is called. We are called. All of us. We are called. And here it is, the last words of Jesus to his followers before the end of the Gospel of Matthew, the first of four accounts of the life of Jesus. And it says there, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So there's your call, Christian, my brother, my sister. There's your call. We're all called to go and make disciples and to teach them to grow up, to not just have a moment of, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus, forgive me of my sins, but to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, where Jesus is Lord and we obey him. And that's the character, the wellspring, the power of our living. Every Christian is called to reveal the God of the Bible to others and to help them become disciples, followers, who not only hear the word, but obey what it says. We are all called to lead others to lives of godly obedience based on faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. So, with that in mind, let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning uh, in verse 1 through verse 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that 
conforms to the gospel concerning <coughs> the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. Wow, what a statement. The word of the Lord from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Now, Paul the Apostle. Paul is an amazing person in the history of the church. The Holy Spirit inspired him to write more of our New Testament than any other person. And nobody, <clears throat> including Paul, when he was young, said, Paul's going to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, I can tell. <laughs> nobody said that, right? Paul didn't even say that about himself. But there in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1, Paul now says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So Paul is gone from supporting the persecution and martyrdom of Christians, of Jesus' followers. Um, he knows now that he's a Christian himself. So, that's a, that's a pretty radical change in a person from somebody who sets Christians up to get persecuted and killed to being a Christian himself. That's a journey. So Paul took that journey. And Paul recognizes and embraces his calling. He says, identifies himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God. Apostle means somebody sent on a mission. And there is, there is an uh, office of apostle in the church, and there were 12 original apostles, and one of them was Judas Iscariot. He violated, you know, he, he uh, turned on Jesus, sold him out, and so then they replaced it, so there was 12 apostles again. But, but generically, an apostle means somebody sent on a mission. So Paul knows he's sent on a mission. Paul knows who he serves. Paul knows what his life was to be for. Paul knows who's in charge of his life. And he has given up ownership of his life so that God is in charge of Paul. And then, as the greeting continues, Timothy, a true child of the faith. So verse 2, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul had met Timothy on his second missionary journey to Southwest Asia, where Asia meets up with Europe. Paul had met Timothy on his second journey there. Paul was impressed with him and made Timothy part of his missionary team. And this close mentoring relationship developed. Paul saw calling, Paul saw potential in Timothy. And so as this band, small band of missionaries traveled and shared the good news that Jesus saved to places where they never heard that before, uh, they had this, mis this mentoring relationship. And throughout this letter in 2 Timothy as well, you can hear the affection that Paul has for this younger man that he is mentoring and deliberately being used by God to have him develop the gifts that God has given him to be a pastor and a leader in the church. Now, let's look at the first point that we want to highlight today in this passage. And that first point is the, the neglect of gospel teaching. And 
I, I'm still surprised how early this is in the life of the church and how uh, people who wanted to add things to the good news that Jesus saves and people from outside the church that wanted to challenge and, and negate the good news that Jesus saves and that he's Lord and we are to follow him had already become a serious issue for the church in Ephesus. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. So the church has just been founded. You know, I mean, it's years old, but it's only years old. And there's already people that are presenting themselves as teachers of the gospel, and they're teaching false doctrine. And Paul is reminding Timothy that part of his call as a pastor and leader there is to put that to a stop. So Timothy spent these years traveling with Paul's team. And Tim, during that time, of course, Timothy had direct access to Paul. And Timothy was one of the team and participated in the ministry. But Paul was in the lead and Paul was in charge. But now... Timothy's in Ephesus, and Paul's moved on, you know, and so Timothy's on his own, and they couldn't call each other, they couldn't text each other, they couldn't email each other. This letter would have been the first communication that Paul had with Timothy in a while. So, no doubt, Timothy has some growing pains, had some growing pains as he was called to step up and be the leader, be the pastor. And Paul is reminding Timothy that it's time, Timothy, to lead the church in Ephesus, to pastor them, to, to maintain the purity of the doctrine, of the good news that Jesus saves. And so Paul was asking Timothy to confront those who were teaching false doctrine in the church and to put it to a stop. Not just to mention that, hey, you might want to think about not doing that. He's telling them to put it to a stop. Now, most of us would rather do just about anything than confront. I mean, like, man, it's not comfortable. Boy, we don't want to go there. I'm not sure that I can do that. Um, but Paul is telling Timothy, you need to stop this in the church. So Paul is reminding Timothy of his calling, and God's power and the message, what it is and what it isn't, put a stop to the false doctrine. So what were they teaching that's being referred to here in 1 Timothy that was false doctrine? Well, um, we still wish we knew in greater detail exactly what they were teaching. But there isn't enough left in writing outside the Bible to, to go in, into great extended details about what it was. But there are some clues in this passage that we read today in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And there's clues in 2 Timothy, and there's clues elsewhere. But I'm just going to keep the scope to 1 and 2 Timothy. Now, back in 1 Timothy chapter 1, from towards the end of verse 3 and into verse 4, not to teach false doctrines any longer, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's word, which is by faith. So there's some hints, some clues for us. 
Part of the false teaching we know from history and from passages like this in the Bible had to do with legendary accounts of Old Testament heroes and mythical stories around these legendary accounts that people would read the Old Testament to somebody and then add all this mythology and, and these accounts and throw in myths and mystical teachings based upon this stuff outside the Bible and claim that, that it, it was insider special knowledge that can only be revealed by seeing the hidden meaning in, in all this stuff outside the Bible. Then you'll really understand and be clued in and be able to see all the hidden meaning in the Bible that nobody else can see. Right? And, and then there were fictitious genealogies. They developed for Old Testament characters of importance. So you read about the important people in the Old Testament. Well, they had all these extended genealogies that aren't in the Bible for some of these uh, people who are, are mentioned as influential in the Old Testament. And they were promoted as a key to access to the secret knowledge. In our lifetimes, there have been books written and ideas promoted that were based on supposed secret codes hidden in the Bible. And and I, I've seen it ever since I was a Christian that had any kind of Bible knowledge. I used to work with a guy that wasn't a Christian. He believed in all kinds of New Age stuff. But he got interested in the Bible when somebody told him that if you, if you took the right words and took the numerical value of the letters in those words, you could come up with these number patterns, study the numbers, numerology, and it would reveal all kinds of secret knowledge and give you insider access to power from God. So he didn't even believe in the God of the Bible, but he was thoroughly intrigued by the study of numbers and, and the, the secret codes that were hidden in the Bible that would be revealed by that. So figure out the code, and you'll discover all these hidden prophecies that are hidden in the text. Once you, once you learn the code and you see it, you'll be amazed, but... Most people will never know that it's really there. So they're not reading the plain meaning of the text. They're looking for this hidden meaning that's going to give them special access. So that's an example from our lifetimes of the kind of thing that Paul was talking to Timothy about. Paul specifically addresses another false teaching farther on in 1 Timothy in chapter 4, verse 3. And he said he speaks of false teachers who forbid marriage and require abstinence from certain foods. So you know some people some people aren't called to be married and that's fine and they live their life single you know and that's fine. Um, but there was this false teaching that nobody should be married and and that there there were foods that if you don't ever eat them. You're going, to, you're going to have power and be holier than the people around you. So, false teachers forbidding marriage and required, requiring this unnatural abstinence from certain foods or extended periods of fasting all the time. That, that's called asceticism is a fancy word for that. It's a belief that you'll be more spiritual if you abnormally deprive yourself of something like marriage or food. So, there's this great reward 
to, to your spiritual journey. In our lifetime, certain diets have been promoted as not only physically healthy, but more biblical or spiritual than the way other people eat. And, and following this diet will not only be healthy for your body, but man, it's just going to unlock the, the secret pathway to all this knowledge that nobody else has. So, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4 ends with talking about this stuff and then saying, rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. So, they weren't promoting faith in Jesus, they were promoting all these secret things that you can do and achieve, you know, by denying your own body, knowing the, the keys to hidden knowledge. The work of the church is God's work. It is given by God to the church. That's us. So all these myths, genealogies, secret knowledge detract from God's work, which is by faith, not by earning insider access through stuff you discover or stuff you do or don't do. So the neglect of the gospel teaching from the very first in the church. The next point is the goal of the gospel teaching. We find that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So what's the goal? Love. Love is the goal. And it's love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Jesus said in Matthew 22 that all the Old Testament law and prophets can be summarized in loving the Lord your God supremely and loving others as yourself, the way you love yourself. So, the goal is love. Would I shock you if I told you that the definition of love is under debate? outside of the Christian church and our society today, would that shock you? Uh, we better have this right. The message matters. The goal is love. What do we mean when we say love? Well, in Timothy's day, Paul's day, and now, society's definition and the biblical definition were very different. God's love is demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ being the sacrifice on the cross that forgives our sins gospel, the good news. Our love for God is demonstrated in a faith in Jesus Christ that results in our obedience to Him and our compassion, our loving interaction with others. It reflects that we care about them every bit as much as we care about ourselves. So, verse 5 tells us that love is the goal. So that means that the church can grow in numbers we can have super-duper fancy services. We can know the Bible backwards and forwards. We can go on mission trips. But if the church isn't producing people who are more loving now than they were before, who are going to be more loving tomorrow than they are today, then something's wrong. And as we continue to look at the biblical definition of love, the word in the original Greek is agape. It's not some soft and mushy Valentine's Day card picture of love. 
It's talking about a love that is active, a love that is sacrificial, a love that is rugged and bold and risky. It's talking about a love that's a fierce commitment to God and to other people that drives the way you live your life. When we teach the good news that Jesus saves, it leads us to die to ourselves. And we become people who love God and love others. We die to ourselves in the sense that we know we're not in charge, that Jesus is, that we're serving him, that it's only because of what he's done that we can be right with God. And so we need to follow. We need to obey. We need to teach the good news that Jesus saves. And we need to let it lead us to die to ourselves and become people who love God. Moving on to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Paul tells Timothy, Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Um, lies are presented to us all the time by people who appear to be quite sure about what they're saying. If it doesn't produce love, biblical love, if it's not according to the gospel, the good news that Jesus saved, it's a waste of time. So there's a bazillion sources. You know this, I know that. We're inundated with it all day. We can choose it in our social media. We can choose it on our TV. Don't mistake Confidence for truth. Verse 7 points out that these false teachers were basing their false teaching on the law. The law was the first five books. We know it as the first five books of the Old Testament. So, they were talking about the law. They were adding all this other stuff to it. Insider access to secret knowledge through denying yourself or um, understanding these numbers the way we understand them da 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 um, they had added to the gospel things that aren't true it doesn't produce love it's not the gospel so second point now the final point that we want to highlight in today's passage is the core of gospel teaching. Okay? Here's the core of gospel teaching. Paul leading Timothy to be a pastor in the church. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious. For those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. That conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God which he entrusted to me. So, Paul is telling Timothy, and Paul is telling us, that the purpose of the Old Testament is not to speculate about genealogies, 
not to add to it myths and secret knowledge and holy diets. The purpose of the Old Testament is to show us our sin so that we know we need a Savior and we accept Him. Did you hear that list of sins? It's law. It's specific. Um, were you thinking of other people? <laughs> you heard that list of sins. Oh, I thought somebody did that. I somebody did that. Oh, man, they're like all over that. And it says right here, that's a sin, right? Were you thinking of other people? How they're guilty of that stuff? You know what? I'm guilty of some of that. Some of the stuff that's specifically mentioned there, I've done in my past. I'm guilty of it. And so are you. You're guilty of some of that. So, um, we want to reveal truth to people, but let's start with ourselves. There's something in there, in, in those specifics that Paul shares there, that covers every one of us. The purpose in the Old Testament law is to show us how desperately we need God's forgiveness and to drive us to the cross. So the good news is that Jesus went to the cross, that he gave his life, shed his blood there, that that is the sacrifice that takes away the penalty for my sin, for your sin, for other people's sin. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what we want to share with people. And to share that with people is love, biblical love. In everything that Paul's talking about in his first letter to Timothy, and in all his writings in the New Testament, he always comes to Jesus Christ and the necessity for forgiveness of your sins by faith in Jesus. And the sufficiency and the exclusivity of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross to gain right standing with God. Jesus' death on the cross brings us forgiveness. And Jesus' resurrection gives us his power to live a new kind of life. That's gospel teaching. God is for you. What do people think when they think about what God thinks about them? Well, they're going to find out in large part from us. So how about we let them know that God's for them? How about we let them know that there's forgiveness? How about we let them know that there are some things that are contrary to God's will that are clearly revealed and specifically spoken about in Scripture, but you don't have to remain there. God has more for you than that. God has forgiveness. God has wholeness. God has His holiness to impart into you, to empower you from the moment you confess your sins and begin to follow Jesus, to have not only whatever natural power you have, but God's spirit in you to empower you to live for him the rest of your life and for eternity. That's gospel teaching. That's the kind of teaching that changes people. It keeps you humble. It keeps you thankful. And it makes you a person who loves. So, the message matters. The message matters. We are all called to live personally in godly obedience based on faith in the Savior Jesus Christ. And we are all called to lead others to lives of godly obedience based on faith in the Savior Jesus Christ.
I want to, to share a personal story that happened to me recently. One of the things that Paul specifically mentions there uh, as sin, as contrary to true doctrine of Christian faith, as contrary to the good news, is those practicing homosexuality. Now, all around us, and there are people who profess faith in Jesus Christ, that like, oh, you've got to love them right where they are. They're supposed to be that way. Who are you with all the ways you're messed up and all the ways that you're uh, at fault? Who are you to say that practicing homosexuality is wrong? Could it be any clearer in that passage in the Bible? Could it be any clearer? So if you're going to say you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're going to leave somebody practicing that when Paul explicitly says, and it's not just Paul, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the inspired word of God explicitly says that practicing homosexuality is against God's will. And it's contrary to who God created you to be. Now, I'm saying things that are radically opposed to people outside the church and a few people inside the church. I know that. And, and uh, this month, so I've heard, is uh, Gay Pride Month. So, you know, I'm a straight guy. If I have a straight Pride Month, I'm a hater. But if you don't celebrate Gay Pride Month, you're a hater. So, how do I follow the Word of God and agree that practicing homosexuality is explicitly against the will of God and, and uh, be in agreement with that. I can't do both things, so I have to choose. Um, in Genesis, in the account of creation, it says that God created them. God created humankind. He created male and female, he created them. So it kind of sounds to me like there's two genders. And, and you're created with one or the other. And we know that there are some DNA anomalies where some people have some mixed up stuff there and it causes them a really complicated um, hard life. And I get that. And I know people like that. And, and I have compassion for them because that's rough. But for almost everybody, 99 point something, you create a male or female, okay? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In the original language, in the original context, that is creating a covenant relationship of marriage, which is the only God-approved place to express your sexuality. One man, one woman, married for life. Okay? Jesus repeated that. In, in, it's recorded in the Gospels. Jesus repeated that Old Testament passage verbatim when he was questioned about marriage. So um, I have heard people who want to say that, that people who practice homosexuality are just fine where they're at. Um, that say, well, Jesus never condemned homosexuality. The only thing he ever affirmed was that Old Testament passage from Genesis. He said the whole thing verbatim. So Jesus also affirmed created male or created female, leave your father and mother, cling to your wife. And in that understanding was that 
within the covenant relationship of marriage is the only God-approved expression of your sexuality. Everything outside of that, which would include practicing homosexuality, is sin in God's eyes. Jesus didn't need to specifically go down a laundry list of all in this passage in 1 Timothy, because that one relationship was where human sexuality is properly expressed, and everything outside of that is sin. Okay? Including practicing homosexuality. So, all that to say that I got a really nice gift about two weeks ago from a man who practices homosexuality. Your pastor, just a couple weeks ago, got a nice gift. It was thoughtful. It was meaningful. Um, I'm going to put it to use. From a man who practices homosexuality. Is that because I say, you know, God bless you, he created you that way, he loves you right where you're at, can you know that? No. He knows I don't say that. He knows explicitly that I say what I just said this morning during the sermon. Yet, the guy gave me a gift. Uh, and you know what he said? He said, you're a true Christian. You speak to me, you look me in the eye, you listen to me, and you shake my hand. And I, he said something to the effect that I know it's safe to talk to you. At the same time that he knows that I don't agree with practicing homosexuality. He knows it full well. He knows it explicitly. He's read it too. But um, I've been able to love him like I love myself because I had to quit some stuff. I had to quit some stuff. You know, it wasn't homosexuality, but homosexuality isn't any worse than my sins that I was doing that I had to quit to become a follower of Jesus. And so it's my intent um, to continue to model the good news to without compromising my beliefs, without compromising what the Bible explicitly and clearly says, but without destroying a relationship. If you're, you know, if you're so right that you're hateful, you're not right. But if you're so right that, that you don't encourage people to get out of their sin, you're not right. So, um, what do we do? You know, let's just talk about this one issue, those who practice homosexuality. What do we do with that? Some months ago, I went with a couple other people to, to hear a man speak. His name is Christopher Yuan. He's an American Asian. Christopher Yuan. He's a he's a got his doctorate. He teaches at Moody Bible. Moody Bible. <laughs> All the mistakes to make, he makes up. He's a, he's a professor at Moody Bible Institute. And uh, Christopher Ewell. Now, he grew up from his teen years practicing homosexuality. Uh -oh. And 
And at one point, he was a distributor of drugs to the homosexual community in like 13 states in the eastern U.S. He was a heavy hitter in trafficking drugs. And he was very active in homosexuality. The movie War Room, you know, where that, el that fiery little elderly lady that found victory in her life by setting up a place to pray and, and was mentoring this younger woman to pray stuff through and to let God, God's power be unleashed in your life and in the life of your loved ones. Um, that the lady that that character was based on is this dude's mom. She's Asian American, and the character in the in the movie War Room is black. But that doesn't matter. Uh, there's a at, at, I think it's at the beginning of the movie. There's a little shout out to her, saying she was the inspiration for the character, and it's Christopher Yuan's mom. And uh, all those years he was doing all this stuff, practicing homosexuality, distributing drugs. And um, she was praying in the war room. And years went by. And, and he had some, some ups and downs in his life and some incarceration. And he hated Christianity. He rebelled against his mom praying for him. She wouldn't give up, man. And then all of a sudden, him more surprised than anybody, all of a sudden it started making sense and he wanted some of that. Well, he got born again. So, after all these years of practicing homosexuality, now he's a born again believer and he's, and he's gone to, to Bible college, he's gone to seminary, he's got a doctorate degree, uh, and he, he knows what I know, what we read today, that practicing homosexuality is explicitly condemned in the Bible. So he knows that, that if he's going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's what he wants, and he can't do that anymore. He still has same-sex attraction. So what does he do? He practices holy sexuality. He, he says, you know, be, being identified like your, your identity or the way you were created or, or the genetics that were in you when you were born, uh, we shouldn't define it as straight or gay. The, who we need to be identified as is a follower of Jesus. So as a follower of Jesus, today when he's asked, well, are you straight now? Or are you still gay? He, he says, I'm not identified that way. He says, I practice and express holy sexuality. His attraction is still homosexual, but he doesn't practice it anymore because the Bible explicitly condemns it. So he practices holy sexuality. He says, I'm not, I'm not straight. I'm not gay. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's my identity. And he's Lord, and I follow him. So it's not straight or gay. It's holy sexuality. So uh, this is an amazingly good book. He's a really good researcher of the Bible. And he digs in there and he's so accurate in his findings and his conclusions. So, the book is called Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. The subtitle is Sex, Desire, and Relationship Shaped by God's Grand Story. So, no, you can't borrow this. I'm still reading. But you can get it online all over the place. Okay? And it's, and it's not too expensive. 
Holy Sexuality of the Gospel by Christopher Yuan, I-U-A-N. So, that's good news living. He's not condemning the people that he knows from his past. He's not enabling the people he knows from his past. And that's just as important. Because if you enable them to continue in what the Bible says is sinful, then whatever you think you're doing right, you're still condemning them. Because if they don't repent and turn to faith in Christ and practice holy sexuality, then that's going to keep them separate from Jesus. So don't think that you're above somebody else because that's what you've been doing. Because that ain't true. So, the message matters. There's a way to interact with people who are, have radical different belief systems or radically different behaviors in us. We are all called to live personally in godly obedience based on faith in Jesus and to lead others to live lives of godly obedience based on faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Every Christian, all of us, are called to reveal the God of the Bible to others and to help them become disciples, followers of Jesus who obey the teaching of the Bible. The goal? The goal is love. To love God supremely and to love others as yourself. Man, I'm so glad that there were people who loved Jesus and loved me like themselves who walked with me. You know, while I tried to figure out the first clue of what it be a follower of Jesus. I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful that they loved me, and I'm so thankful that I knew God loved me because I could see it flowing through them. So, the message matters. Imagine the impact on our community if we lived lives of holy relationships that honor God. And imagine what would happen in our community if all of us began to model the kind of mutual submission before our friends and neighbors, that we lead them to become followers of Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. The message matters. It, it just astounds me, God, how similar some of the things, many of the things that Paul and Timothy faced in the, when the church was being founded that we still face today. The more things change, the more they stay the same. The challenges to us in these areas of our lives are the same today as they always have been. We choose to follow Jesus. Let the good news stream from our lips. Let us love you supremely, God. And let us obey Jesus consistently. And let us love others every bit as much as we love ourselves and lead them saving faith, that they become with us disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, and that we all someday are gathered in heaven to be with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I love you.